So I, I'm part of an organization, a faith-based organization that focuses exclusively on global missions. And so it was tempting to, you know, want to use this Sunday, uh, especially after what, what Dustin preached about last week, to use this Sunday really just talking primarily about global missions and here's how to get involved and let's do this and rah, rah, rah. But after listening to the series that you guys have been going through on discipleship, I really felt like the Spirit was leading in a little bit of a different direction. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to continue this series, and this is sort of like the the period or the exclamation point, maybe even the parenthetical statement or the B-side track, if you will, of discipleship. Because this morning what I want to do is I want to talk about discipleship in the dark, discipleship in the dark. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Any of you that are in any sort of meaningful, significant relationship with another person, you've, you've had this experience. You've had this experience where, let's say it's a marriage, you've had this experience where it starts off very euphoric and wonderful and butterflies and rainbows and everything's just happy and good, and then something happens. Maybe it's an event, maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's a whole season or series of events where you realize, oh, (laughs) this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Uh, For my wife and I, my wife, Kathy, and I, we've been married for over 17 years. We've got two fantastic middle school kids, and um, I I remember this moment very vividly. We had just gotten married. We had, you know, done the honeymoon thing, had a great time, came back. We were living in uh, college college, whatever, dorm living life, you know, that awesome way to start a marriage. And, um, and I remember like everything was still in that season of, oh, you're just the best and everything about you is amazing. And then we went grocery shopping together for the first time. And, and even like the first part of the experience was good. Like we're going down the aisles and, oh, you like that kind of cereal? Me too. We were meant to get married, you know, like that whole thing. And, and then we get to the checkout lane. And, and I go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up here like loading stuff and I'm still, Kathy's behind me. I can't see her. I'm putting, I'm just chucking stuff on the conveyor belt. I'm saying all these cute, nice things about her and it's silent. I'm like, what's, where's the response? And I turn around and her face is just appalled and aghast and her mouth's wide open. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm just chucking the food on there. She's like, don't you know that when you check out the food, you have to do it by like location where it goes in the in the kitchen. So all the freezer stuff goes together, and all the all the refrigerator stuff, and all the cupboard stuff. And I'm just like, what? And you know, as as a very sensitive, thoughtful, savvy new husband, I said some, you know, terrible response, like, oh, that's super lame, like, who does that, right? And, uh, and that set off our first fight, and that was sort of the moment. I was like, oh, this is a lot of work. Now, I wasn't going to share this, but actually, funny, funny part of that story, yesterday, I went grocery shopping by myself, and halfway through checking out, guess what I realized I was doing? I was putting everything on the checkout lane by where it goes in the kitchen. So she won 17 years later. But my point in this silly story is this. Anybody who is in a meaningful relationship has experienced that moment where you realize this is difficult. Another way of saying it is this isn't exactly what I expected it to be like. 
And friends, when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about this idea of following Jesus, of being in this intimate relationship with Jesus, I think we have to acknowledge that this is true in our relationship with Jesus, that there are seasons or moments when we step back and we realize this is more difficult than what I thought, and in fact, this is not anything like I expected it to be. There are seasons of darkness in our discipleship. There is an author and theologian who has passed away several years ago, but his name is Brennan Manning. He calls this the dark night of the soul. He says the dark night is a very real place. As anyone who has been there will tell you, it is marked by dryness, barrenness, desolation, and a profound sense of God's absence. Have you ever been there? In that place. Maybe for some of you, if you're honest with yourself, you would say this morning, that's exactly where you find yourself. That, yeah, we can put together this nice veneer of fake Christian happiness, and we can come to church, and we can make everything look good, and we even know, we've trained ourselves about when to raise the hands and what emotions to feel. We even know what words to say in these really great-sounding prayers, and we can fake community. But in our hearts... We know that we're walking in darkness, in desolation, in this place where we have this profound sense that God is absent. What do we do? What do we do in the dark night of the soul? What do we do when following Jesus, discipleship, isn't all that it cracked out to be? What do we do? I want to spend some time looking at Luke chapter 24. We're going to spend the rest of our time together in Luke chapter 24 because in Luke chapter 24, we, we get this uh, behind-the-scenes view of two followers of Jesus, two disciples who are literally walking in a season of darkness. They're walking in a season of darkness. And we get this really behind-the-scenes look of not just what caused the darkness, not just acknowledging that the darkness is real, but also what ultimately restores the presence of God. So Luke chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 13. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. The context of this story is it's just after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want you to put yourself in the shoes of any, any person who had committed themselves to Jesus during his three-ish years of ministry. Uh, there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of euphoria. There was a lot of, oh, this is going to be awesome, right? A lot of those, like, this is, this is great moments. And then he dies on a cross. And that's where this story picks up, is these guys have just watched their Messiah being nailed to a cross. And yes, a few days later, there's this rumor starting to go around that, well, at least to some extent, the body's not in the grave. I don't really know what that means. And it's in that context that these two guys, we find them in verse 13, traveling from Jerusalem to another little village called Emmaus. Verse 13, behold, the two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. Verse 14 just said they were conversing with each other about everything that had just happened. They're, that word conversing, it's not like chit-chat. It's they're having a heated discussion about what do you think this all means? What, what do you think this means about everything that Jesus claimed? What's going on here? I don't understand. What do you think the fact that the, these other followers of Jesus just claimed that the tomb is empty? What do you think? Do you think the Romans stole his body? I don't know. It's a heated dialogue, and they're referencing everything that has happened in the last few days. Verse 15, and it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Here's our key verse. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. These men were walking step in step with Jesus yet they were completely unaware of his presence. Completely unaware of his presence. Friends, I think that if we are going to take discipleship seriously, if we are going to take this call that that, that you were actually designed to do this, you were designed to be in relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, that you find most fulfillment and joy and satisfaction in following Jesus. But if we are going to take this seriously, we have to acknowledge these seasons. Where, yes, we are walking step in step with Jesus, but we're completely unaware of his presence. We need to acknowledge and admit the seasons of absence. Brennan Manning again says this, we may feel that we have lost Christ and fear that he will never return. Now it is difficult to connect two thoughts about him. Prayer has become artificial. Have you ever felt that? Words spoken to him ring hollow in our empty soul. Worse, oppressive feelings of guilt sharpen the sense of loss. If you're woken up in the morning and been really committed in your mind, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my day praying to Jesus, and you sit down, and there's just nothing. Or maybe even just a few minutes ago when we were having that fantastic time of worship saying all these wonderful things about how beautiful and trustworthy and loving and great our God is, maybe for you those words were very empty and hollow. Because yes, you're walking in step with Jesus, but you're unaware of his presence. And so we have an inside view to these two men who are disciples who are following, and yet they find themselves in this dark night of their soul, discipleship in the dark. And we get a few clues, we get a few clues of what has led to this, what happened, what's happening internally in their their minds and in their hearts that's causing them to be literally shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, yet completely unaware that they're in his presence. What's going on? So the next few verses give us a few clues about what's happening in the lives and the hearts of these men. So pick up in verse 17. By the way, if you have this perception of Jesus in the, in the Gospels of like this bland sort of 
monotone, mundane, and just going around like doing all these boring things and no sense of humor or personality. Uh, This passage, along with a lot of other passages in the Gospels, this passage, though, is going to blow that out, all right? Because we're going to see in Jesus here in these next few verses a lot of character, a lot of color, and a lot of personality coming out of Jesus, all right? And it starts right here in verse 17. So Jesus says to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? Jesus, the Son of God, is saying, what are you guys talking about? And they stood still, looking sad, these two disciples. You can sort of see, like, lost little puppy looks on their faces. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these last days? Okay, hear the humor and the irony in what's happening right now. Cleopas, this disciple of Jesus, is looking at Jesus and saying, Are you the only stranger in this whole city that has no idea what's been going on about this Jesus who died? And It's kind of like he's saying, Where have you been, under a rock? And Jesus is like, Well, yeah, actually, kind of, but... He's, so, so there's a lot of irony in this exchange. And Jesus says, here again, is his personality. He's kind of toying with these guys a little bit. And he says in verse 19 to them, what things? <laughs> Me. <laughs> it's about Jesus. He, like, he's the one it's all about. But he says, what things? In verse 19. And here's our first clue. Our first clue as to why these men... We're walking in a season of, of darkness. They said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. Let me stop right there. He was a prophet. Is that true? Absolutely. But that wasn't it. And see, friends, what was happening in the lives of these two disciples is that they had lost sight of the fullness of who Jesus is. They had lost sight of who Jesus is, that yes, indeed, he is a prophet, absolutely, that yes, indeed, he did many miraculous things, but he is so much more than a mere prophet, that he is the son of God, that he is the exalted king, that he is the coming Messiah to to seek and save the lost, that there was so much more to the character and the personality and the power of who Jesus is. And yet what they did is they reduced Jesus down and limited their perspective of who he is. Isn't it interesting that for beings who were created in the image of God, we do a fantastic job of trying to create him in our image. We try to reduce God and bound him in these neat little boxes, this is who you are. When really, God is so much more. They lost sight of the fullness of who Jesus is. They lost sight of his character. They lost sight of his purpose, that he had come to be the suffering servant. Friends, when we lose sight, when we lose sight of the fullness of who God is, it will destroy our passion and our intimacy with him. When we lose sight of the fullness of God's love for you, 
when we lose sight of the fullness of his grace towards you, when we lose sight of the fullness of his power, the fullness of his faithfulness, the fullness of his trustworthiness, when we lose sight of those things and we reduce God, it destroys, it destroys our passion and our intimacy with him. So clue number one that we see is that they had lost sight of who Jesus is. Clue number two, though, continuing on in verse 20. Let me pick back up in verse 19, where they say, uh, Jesus says, what things? And they say, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word in the sight of God, all the people. Here's clue number two, number, uh, verse 20. And how the chief priests and our, and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. Here we go. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. But we were hoping. You have to remember that for these Jewish men at this time, that they had been living with all these prophecies about how a Messiah would come and bring redemption and restoration. And for them, at that day and age, what, that, what they thought that meant is, okay, we are under Roman oppression, there is this national government that is oppressing us and, and forcing us to be and do certain things that as a people we don't want to be about and do. And so this Messiah is going to come and he is going to free us from this political governmental oppression. We had hoped. And then they saw their hope nailed to a cross. They saw their hope buried in a grave. Let me ask, have you ever felt that phrase in your life in terms of following Jesus? This, you, you can hear the disappointment in their voices, but we had hoped. I've, I've felt it. I had hoped, God, it would work out this way. Why did the answer from the doctors and the results from the test come back like this? I had hoped it would come back like this, and it didn't. I had hoped that we would fill in the blank. I had hoped that you would act in such a way, and you didn't. These men are experiencing profound disappointment in the way that Jesus acts. They had expected this, and they got that. Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They had hoped, and now their hope was nailed to the cross. And as they thought, their hope lay dead in a tomb. Friends, when we lose sight of who God is and what he's truly about, it will lead inevitably to disappointment in how he acts. When we lose sight of who God is and what he is ultimately about, it will inevitably lead to disappointment in how he acts because failure to see, what happens with these disciples is that failure to see Jesus comes from failure to embrace the ways of God. 
(laughs) Failure to see Jesus, to enjoy his presence, comes from failures to accept and to believe in the ways of God. They had this certain expectation in the way that the coming Messiah would act and behave and do and conquer. And it 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 was difficult for them to accept the actual ways of God. That their Messiah was a suffering servant. So because of this disappointment in what Jesus had done, they were missing the presence. They were missing his presence. The last clue we get, though, comes in verse 22. So in verse 21, we hear the disappointment. In verse 22, but also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early this morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as exactly as the woman also had said, but him they did not see. Now, this is interesting what's going on here because Jesus, for all of his ministry, um, gave not so subtle clues and hints about, look, okay, guys, look it, listen to me. All right, you're my disciples. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise again. Okay? Got it, guys? Okay, Jesus. All right, so it wasn't like these guys didn't know the prophecies and the promises of what Jesus was claiming. And yet, what do we hear here? What do we see happening in, the, in what they're saying is that they were filled with doubt. They were filled with doubt that actually the promises, the claims that Jesus made were actually true and good and faithful. Do you hear the language? It wasn't like, it wasn't positive language. It was language like, we were shocked. There were some women that went to the tomb where Jesus was, and we were shocked to hear this report that the tomb was empty. Why were you shocked? Jesus said he would rise again. Because sometimes it's really hard to believe that the promises and the claims of God are actually true. That he'll actually do the things that he says and promises he'll do. And so there's doubt. So we see three things, three things that cause these men, these disciples to miss the presence of Jesus, to be walking in the dark night of the soul. They lose sight of who Jesus is, which leads them to be disappointed in what Jesus did and to doubt his faithfulness, to doubt that he is true and trustworthy. Now, thankfully, the story's not over, right? Can you imagine if we ended, hey, thanks for coming to City Church. All have a great day, right? The story's not over, though. Jesus has been interacting with these guys. He's been letting them go for a little while. And now in verse 25, when he hears this, this, this proclamation of doubt from these men, look at in verse 25, he can't stay silent anymore. And he says to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explains to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Okay, so two things 
What we see here, as the story begins to conclude, is we see two things that help restore the presence of God in those times of darkness. Two things. First of all, God's word is spoken over us. God's word is spoken over us, and it restores hope. God's word is spoken over us, and it restores hope. We see this. This is what Jesus does. First thing he does. He lets him go. He lets him be real. He lets him be raw and broken, and that's a really good thing. And then he breaks in, and he says, okay, let me tell you everything the prophets had said about me. Let me tell you about everything that the prophets had said. The, uh, uh, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And here, here is why this is profound. Because it's not just Jesus. Like, I kind of imagine this, Jesus just starting in Genesis and reading. Like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Like, how boring would that be, Right? Okay, yes, I did just say that, all right? It's okay to acknowledge that sometimes the book of Numbers can get a little boring, okay? But that's not what Jesus is doing. There's a purpose in why he's reading the Old Testament. He's showing them prophecies about himself as their Savior. And what he's showing them, friends, is that before he could be the conquering king, He had to be the suffering servant. And what this means for the disciples is that when the disciples saw the cross, when the disciples saw their Messiah hanging there on the cross, what the disciples thought is that their hope was dead. What the disciples saw when they saw their Messiah's body being taken off the cross and buried into a tomb and wrapped in the linens and the big, huge stone being closed over the tomb, what the disciples thought from their perspective is our hope is dead. And the reason why Jesus goes back to the Old Testament to speak the truth of his word over these men is to remind them, no, the cross is not a symbol of the death of your hope. It's a symbol that new hope and new life is beginning today. That hope did not die in the tomb, but that new hope was resurrected and brought to life as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. And so when we, as the followers of Jesus, see, oh, hope is dead, the Father says, no, actually it means new beginning, new life, restoration, redemption. Hope is alive and well, and it's walking right next to you. This is the power of God's word. Spoken over us. Hope is not dead. The cross was not a symbol of the death of hope. It was the beginning of hope. The beginning of new life and restoration. So friends, how is in these times of darkness when we feel empty in soul when we feel dry and barren and our prayers seem hollow may we allow the word of god may we allow the word of god to speak hope over us That death is not the symbol. That the cross is not the symbol. That the grave is not the symbol of the death of hope. 
but it's the beginning. Finally, the end of the scene gives us one more clue how the presence of God was restored in these men. Look at verse 28. I love this. Here's more humor coming out. So verse 27, it talks about Jesus explaining all these things from the Old Testament. And then in verse 28, they've been walking, remember, this whole time to Emmaus. It says, and they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go further. Okay, I love this scene. This is like a socially awkward scene that we've all been in or things like it, right? It's like one of those scenes. Have you ever had friends over, and you're like, okay, hopefully they'll leave at around 9 o'clock, you know? And then, and then they like, it's like 9.30, and they're still talking, and it's like 10 o'clock, and you're dropping all these not-so-subtle clues about, hey, you know, i got to put my two-year-old screaming kid to bed now and they stay and they keep talking and you finally get to the point where you're like hey how can I be praying for you as we wrap up this night and they're like oh thanks and you know an hour later you're like still haven't prayed for them and okay this is like one of those scenes okay just that socially awkward scene where Jesus it says they're approaching the village it says that he acted like he was going to depart and you kind of see that like okay See, see, get, see, big gulps, huh? See you later, you know? And, and then they pick up on it. And they say, in verse 29, oh, wait, no, 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 stay with us. Stay with us. For it's getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, and breaking it, he began to give it to them. And it's in that moment, verse 31, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. It's in the moment of intimacy. It's in the moment where the disciples had invited, them in, invited him in to the most mundane, everyday part of their life around the dinner table, where their eyes were finally opened, and they saw Jesus. It's interesting that this is the first recorded time after the Lord's Supper, the night before he was betrayed, where he initiates this practice we call today communion. This was the first recorded time after his death and resurrection where it says that Jesus broke bread. He communed with them. He had intimacy with them. And it's in that place of intimacy that their eyes were opened to see who was in their presence. One commentator named Daryl Box says, the table was a place where Jesus was heard and where his presence came across most intimately. This This fact suggests that Jesus reveals himself. Listen to this, friends. Jesus reveals himself in the midst of the basic moments of life. All you stay at home parents, all you business workers who go to cubicles and offices, all you people, students who wake up way too early, like 8 o'clock to go to class, hear that sentence. This fact suggests that Jesus reveals himself in the midst of the basic moments of life. He is at home in the midst of our everyday activity. The disciples just invited him in. And it was in that place of intimacy, in the everydayness of their life, that their eyes were opened. And later it says, did not our hearts burn within us? 
Friends, I don't know where you find yourself this morning on the journey of discipleship. I'm going to have the worship team come up now, and we want to give you a chance to just respond and reflect to this. That maybe for some of you, you are on your Emmaus journey. That maybe for some of you, you find yourself in this dark night of the soul. Maybe you find yourself in this place where following Jesus isn't everything you expected. That you have experienced real disappointment. Maybe this morning you you feel resentment towards God because of how he did or did not act. Maybe this morning you find yourself really doubting, is God truly faithful? Is his word really good and trustworthy? Maybe you realize, I've been limiting and missing the fullness of his love and his grace. And so our prayer for you right now is that the truth of his word, that hope is not dead, that the story is not over, that he longs to be in the everyday places of your life, close, intimate, in fellowship with you, that joy and intimacy will be renewed and restored as you disciple, as you follow Jesus. Let's take some time to respond.